Hi, welcome to the fifth DIY Recording Equipment Podcast. My name's Peterson Goodwin. I'm your host, and today we're talking about open source hardware and DIY audio. Uh, Now, I think most people are probably familiar with the concept of open source, at least as an approach to software, where a developer releases their source code for other people to learn from or, or work upon, tweak, even build their own program on top of that. Uh, Now, in more recent years, that's also become a more popular way to work on hardware projects, such as the RepRap uh, and MakerBot 3D printers, which have had a community of developers sharing their design files back and forth and which have been released um, for free. And uh, the Arduino, which is a really popular microcontroller hardware platform that's totally open source. Anybody can manufacture their own circuit boards and create their own add-ons and so on. Um, Now, compared to 3D printing and microcontrollers, I think the world of DIY audio uh, is much less formalized in that open source direction, but is still very much of that ethos. Uh, I think you see a lot of people without high commercial aspirations, releasing their work for free on the DIY, on the group DIY forum, or as I do on my website and as as many other people do, and not being overly concerned with who does what with it. Um, And this has worked pretty well up to now. I think most projects have occupied this kind of gray area between old designs that don't have any valid patents and, and their own new work and data sheets from manufacturers that are open source. Um, But as the DIY world grows and more money enters the market and more innovation happens and more info is I feel that we are going to need to start dealing more directly with questions of ownership and intellectual property. Because I think, honestly, I think we're sitting on a bit of a powder keg right now. Uh, What happens, for example... Uh, if a major manufacturer sees the potential in the DIY kit market and starts taking projects off the group DIY forum and releasing them at kits as kits at a quarter of the price of what um, a basement manufacturer like myself would have to charge, um, what happens if the consumer audio industry just starts grabbing designs verbatim off of the group DIY forum um, instead of employing their own engineers? Um, so questions like these, I think are coming to a slow broil uh, in the DIY audio community. So with that in mind, um, I ventured out to the Open Source Hardware Summit in New York a few months ago. And it was really great to see people who were building businesses and communities around their open source projects. Uh, And one of these people who I, I got to talk to for a bit was Eric Jennings from the Pinocchio Project, which is a very cool, very small uh, wireless hardware platform. It turns out Eric is also a bit of an audio head. Uh, So we got talking about uh, Drip's LA2A projects and some other tube things. And so I invited him to come onto the podcast and talk about open source and how he sees it possibly applying to the world of audio. So welcome, Eric. Um, Thanks so much for being here. I want to ask you first about... On a very practical level, how does open source inform your business and the way you approach your Pinocchio project? Right. <clears throat> it's a good question. So in, in, it's actually probably easier for um, people who are, understand audio hardware to identify with what we're dealing with now 
in contrast with actually like an open source software project or perhaps music, which is purely intellectual or, you know, non-tangible. So the, what we're doing with Pinocchio is we're offering, <clears throat> we, we have everything open source hardware licensed. And that what that means is we offer, um, we lay out our, our boards, our, our printed circuit boards um, in a program called Eagle, which is a fairly popular program. There's other ones as well, but we offer um, our board layout and our schematics available for anyone to download. And with those with those files, you can create the Gerber files, which you would send off to a PCB manufacturer to actually make them for you. And so there's nothing stopping someone from downloading our files, going and printing their own circuit board or making it themselves, and then essentially duplicating what we've already built. But that's okay. That's 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 what we want people to do. Our our value. But so you're aware yeah. of how crazy that sounds. Right? <laughs> I know, I know. Especially when people uh, people are so hell bent on keeping their ideas secret. Um, Ideas are, are, and this this may be from my, my experience in working in tech startups and software startups, is that ideas are cheap, and, and people oftentimes think they're worth everything. Like, I've got this great idea, I just got to find a guy to program it for me. And it's like, that means nothing. Everything's in the execution. And it also means that there's much more value than just your product if you do it right. And so what I mean by that is we release these items. We really, we also release our bill of materials. We release everything basically. Um, we're also going to be making some like small enclosures for these and we'll be offering those CAD files as well. If someone wants to 3d print them or whatever, they can do that on their own or make better ones. But, uh, regarding value, like our value is in our community and, and actually getting people to discuss and build things with, with what we've designed. Um, we have, uh, we, so the community have aspect of it, getting people to actually getting our product out there and having a lot of maybe schools or, or we've talked to a couple of environmental scientists who want to use this as well. They'll be using it in places that we would have never been able to get into from a sales or a, you know, marketing standpoint. And we can do that by actually releasing these, these pieces. Um, the argument that a lot of people will have would be like, well, what stops, you know, some Chinese manufacturer from just like blowing you out of the water by undercutting you. And, uh, the answer is nothing, to be honest with you, but fundamentally, the community, and this has happened several times, it's happened with Chris Anderson's um, DIY drones. He has a, a site that makes products for RC airplanes and helicopters that can fly on their own. Um, there's been other, Arduino is another big community where you can buy clones, but you're not going to get support from the community then. You're not going to get support from us because we're not going to support you know, some knockoff that isn't designed right or you know, skimped on, on some of the quality details the uh that value that comes back to us is still a net positive so even though there's a risk of of um you know chinese knockoffs or whatever it's really not a big issue because they can't replicate our community they can't replicate our forums they can't replicate the direction we're going and another thing they honestly can't do and we thought we thought long hard about this but um the volume discounts that we are able to get someone has to go all in it's like a poker game like if they're going to go up against us at volume, they're going to have to be selling as many as we are and, uh, and buying in bulks of 5 or 10K at a time, which is hard for people to swallow. When you make a $60,000 order for micro microcontrollers <laughs> or microprocessors, it's like you start to think twice. And the only way you can compete with us on price is to buy a volume like we'd have to buy. So there is a natural barrier to entry somewhat in there. Um, and yeah, someone could go all in and, and actually compete with us. But fundamentally, go for it. Like If they can make a better board than we're making then they should, and they should be able to sell it. Um, you know, that, that's kind of where it comes down to, and it, it feels foreign to a lot of people, but that's really where we land on it. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, Eric, in the consumer audio world, um, which is today still dominated by patents and copyrights, there's a lot of 
copying and cloning. Um, and patents have allowed some companies like uh, DBX and Aphex and I think uh, Drummer to pursue companies like Behringer that they feel have, have stolen their designs. Now, I suppose my question is, if we move to an open source environment, how is that not just opening the floodgates for the companies with money to say, all right, well, here are my designs and those with the money, you know, please take them and, and make all the profit from them. It's a, it's a good point of view and it's a, actually a really fantastic analogy um, to this since, you know, like you said, everyone in, the, in this audience will most likely know Behringer and the, the pros and cons around it. I would argue that Behringer is, well, I would probably call them as a necessary evil in the sense that you'll have a kid who might be 15 or 14 in his room and he's trying to like learn guitar and he's going to buy the, you know, $59 Behringer amp because that's all he can afford. Is it, is it a Fender, you know, tweed basement? No, it's not. But it's like, it lets him start to play. It starts to practice. Um, he, you know, that Behringer amp is ripped off of some, you know, crate or something else, which is also probably ripped off of something else, um, you know, or at least borrowed from to some degree. There's the, the Behringer's are lower, they lower the entrance um, ability for everybody. And so will, will that kid, if he continues to play for 10 years, continue to play in Behringer amps? I could almost assure you he will not. Why? Because he's going to get into it more. He's going to realize, oh, wait, there's a quality issue here. He's going to start to define his own sound as a guitar player and what he likes and doesn't like. Is he going to be a Les Paul or a Fender guy? It's like, you know, it's, a, it, it's all going to come around where he's going to start to have a taste and he's going to start to further himself. Now, had he not been able to get the $59 Behringer, will he ever play guitar long term? Maybe, maybe not. We know, we'll never know. But the more people playing guitar in this situation, the better for everyone and the better for him to actually start to gain his taste and to buy the Fenders or to buy the Mesa Boogies or to buy whatever that he is really into uh, that he finally defi he defines for himself. And so it sounds bad and it's, it's super irritating. I totally get it when some other company rips off your stuff. Um, it's because it's you put all the work and effort into it. But fundamentally... I think they serve a good purpose, not only because they let people in on the low end of the, pro of the spectrum, but there's a little bit of honesty that goes on there too. Some people like to sit on their laurels a little bit, and that's frustrating to me as someone who loves entrepreneurship. Um, you know, the, the other flip side of that is, you know, people like Big Pharma who will, who will do a bunch of research on something, put a bunch of money in something, but then they get to sit on it for 15 or 20 years or whatever. I think actually with, with drugs, it's only seven, but, you know, other other trademarks and patents like they'll sit on them and just like do nothing else but just milk it now is that the right or wrong way to go i don't know i mean you could argue either way to me it would be nice if some drug companies had some behringers if you will to keep them pushing forward because the behringers are picking up the slack on the back end so it's almost like it creates a better ecosystem but you have to be really honest with yourself and with your community that like you know you're not going to be rolling in the dough necessarily and, and sit on your laurels if you allow open source to to kind of dictate where you go as a company. Interesting. Well, let's look at another objection that I sort of have to open source, which is that if you look at the world of analog audio, it really seems like most of the really good heavy lifting and innovation happened quite a few decades ago when there was a lot of money in analog audio and you had big companies like Shure that could afford to hire 
large teams of really talented engineers for decades um, to work on things such as the Unidyne capsule. Um, and these days we have a market that is much more democratized. There's a lot more people like myself doing it out of their basement, but not not a lot of um, really game-changing innovation, at least from my point of view. Now, it seems like the whole patent closed-source system it really allowed those large companies, those large teams such as Neumann and, and Shure and RCA to flourish and do the kind of innovation that now we're mostly just tweaking and building on. Um, and it seems like without those kind of teams and that kind of capital and also that protection of your investment with the patent uh, just doesn't seem to be happening. <clears throat> yep. Um it's a great point you bring up. I think uh, I would respond to that by saying that um, there are certain highly capital-intensive endeavors that would require essentially what you describe. And perhaps the early days of audio was ascent- was exactly that, where you you dealt with large large systems, you dealt with vacuum tubes and large voltage um, when you're dealing with early you know amplification back then. Um, for those sorts of things, it very well may be infeasible to even consider open source and something like that. Um, as things start to, as industries start to mature, uh, I think that the, the, the cost for doing those things usually decreases based on just basic economics of, you know, supply and demand and, and, you know, honing in, you know, processes and things like that and finding best practices. So as that price comes down, so as an industry becomes less capital intensive, I think there's an increasing room for open source in that. So, um, for instance, like in biotech, it's still not very open because it costs a lot of money to get into biotech and to start dealing with, you know, uh, FDA approvals and all these things that are just super heavy, super capital intensive. Same with pharmaceuticals. So it's like, that's probably why there isn't a lot because there's no, there's no room in there to actually start to share and collaborate. But as those start to come down, as you start to have, you know, 3D printing at your home, you could consider manufacturing is now starting to come down in abilities and pricing. And so then it makes more and more sense to do open source uh, businesses on top of that, because the idea is you can still make an income, you can still sustain your company, but you're actually bringing more value that is kind of left there that no one really knows about. We, um, we use an analogy that I got out of a book. Um, it's called the broken window fallacy. And it's, it's kind of a good way to look at it. And um, it helps us sometimes when we get stuck in the mire here. But um, the, the, to, the quick and dirty of it is that um, <clears throat> the story goes where a kid throws a baseball through a, a baker's window. And the baker, you know, has to go and fix the window. So the argument from an, one economic standpoint is, see, isn't that great for window makers? Because, you know, that he just got some business um, from the baker who got his window busted by the kid. And this argument was used like World War II, like we should go to war more often because it helps our economy post-war because we spend so much money on stuff. But the, the flip side of that is that it's actually a fallacy because what we don't know is what the baker would have spent his money on otherwise had he not had to fix his window. He could have bought a coat from the tailor, he could have got something else. And since there wasn't a value destruction by the broken window, there's all this like latent value that nobody ever knows would have been there had, had he not, you know, had, unless he didn't have to fix his windows. So um, that broken window fallacy story that we use a lot is like, we don't know how much latent value is sitting around that if we were just able to get our, our products out there 
in an open fashion or let people start to take them apart and learn how they work. Who knows that someone might actually take that and build something that's not what we envisioned, but it allowed them, it was like the last stepping stone they needed to actually bring about a whole nother business for themselves or a whole nother product uh, to use the dynamic capsule analogy. You know, the fact that like I, I bought like an Apex 460 cheapy Chinese mic and did the mic mod on it like about a month ago or so. Like I had no idea how mics worked before then. And I dug in and I was like, this isn't this, this isn't that bad. I picked up a capsule. I picked up a transformer, um, did a couple of the cap changes. And now I feel like I know enough about microphones that I might want to like experiment more. Like, and will I make a microphone company? Probably not. But like someone out there might because they did the initial mod because someone shared how to actually split apart this cheap Chinese, uh, you know, mic and actually fix it up and make it sound good. So that latent value is a really key piece that we see time and time again in open source. You don't see it in closed source because no one ever knows it's there. Yeah, wow. Um, I think that the main thing I got out of the Open Source Hardware Summit and that I continue to feel after our conversation is that it's really such a young approach to business and innovation. Uh, no one has the answers. No one has a firm ground on which to be dogmatic. Um, you know, what this moment is for um, is really to ask questions, uh, to look at industries that are are very closed, uh, like audio, and, and ask, how could openness help this industry to be more collaborative, more innovative? Um, to ask questions like, how are we going to release our projects that, that are community-driven? How Who's going to own them? Um, what kind of licenses are we going to use? I don't think any of that is is nailed down yet. I think it's, it's time to... St- really to just engage with these questions. That's just it. And, you know, some people take a hybrid approach, and I think it's completely okay. Um, One company um, that I heard about at that conference uh, decides to open source all of their actual products they sell, but they don't open source their sources of material. So they don't, they don't, they don't let tell everyone where they buy their stuff at bulk and what rates they get at it. So there's things that you don't have to, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to share everything and be completely transparent because I mean that now you're now, that's not actually helping the product. That's just helping competitors. So it might be a good way to look at it is like, if you can open as much as you can to help your product and help the people who use your product, but don't, op- don't open to the degree to just help your competitors. That does not help your product. If that makes sense. Um, that that's a good middle ground. I think that seems to resonate with a lot of people. I know that we use that quite a bit internally as well to like, you know, what should we share? What shouldn't we share? Other people don't, uh, will, will share even their parts list, but they won't share, um, their backend uh, manufacturing, you know, resource planning program that they use for all of their large batch purchasing and stuff like that, because that's a competitive advantage for them and doesn't help the product at all. Me knowing how a particular company buys their parts in bulk does not mean an iota of difference when I want to use their product, if that makes sense. But if they shared their designs and said, you know, just like what you're doing, hey, what about this or that different distortion module? or overdrive module for this, that's opening the dialogue, makes me engaged with you as the product designer. And I feel like I can have a little part of influence in that. And then I also want to get it because I feel like it's a dialogue. It's not just like here, buy this, like you'd see in a Sweetwater magazine or something, (laughs) you know, um, that's a big difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, thank you so much, Eric, for coming by today and sharing your insight with us and, and helping me begin to work through these questions about open source. Um, I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks a lot. And thank you for taking the time to tune in to the DIY Recording Equipment Podcast. I will talk to you next time. Thanks.